You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. All right. Before we jump into the message for today, I have some thoughts that I want to give you as, as we come up on Easter Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is going to be, again, a, a huge celebration here at Hui Kala Baptist Church, and you don't won't want to miss out on any part of it. So I got some thoughts I want to, to give you to help prepare uh, for Resurrection Sunday, some just practical thoughts and practical tips uh, before we uh, jump into next week. First of all, uh, if you want to jot these things down, that would be helpful. If you want to commit them to memory, that's fine. Uh, fellas, you might want to nudge your wife and say, hey, can you keep track of these for me? That's what I do. Uh, first of all, Invite somebody to church this week. Um, statistics and studies have shown us that 75 to 80% of people will come to church if someone invited them. Uh, I had the opportunity to visit Malaysia uh, this past week. I'm gonna tell you guys all about that at five o'clock today. But I had a guy who's, uh, who I had met there uh, that I just invited him to church. Would you come to church this Sunday? And he said yes, and he came. Uh, now, come to find out, he had friends that had been inviting him for quite some time, but I was the guy that came along and, and was able to, to push him over the edge, I guess, if you will. Uh, inside your bulletin, you have a copy of our beautiful Easter invites. Uh, grab a pack of 10 from our ushers on the way out today. Get those out into someone's hands this week. Think of someone that you can invite to church. Uh, probably tomorrow morning, we'll be uh, posting a, a video video on our uh, church Facebook page that you can use and share on social media and things like that. We'll give you some tools that you can use to, to do that as well. Uh, but invite somebody to church to be your guest. Uh, invite them to come and sit with you. Tell them, hey, I'll meet you out front. I'll make sure that you get a good parking spot. Uh, but invite somebody to church this week. Secondly, prepare to be a blessing. Uh, hopefully, uh, by God's grace, we'll have a, a dozen or so uh, first-time guests next Sunday uh, that are here at Who We Call for the first time. Prepare to be a blessing to them. Uh, we do a great job of this every single week of the world, but next week we're going to be extra ready uh, to be a blessing to folks as well. Now, what this might mean for some of you is being at church a little bit earlier than you're used to. Uh, some of you might not know, but our church services start at 10 a.m. Some people think it's like 10.15, 10.20, uh, some folks 10.30, you know if I'm looking your direction who you are. Uh, but uh, seriously, be here next week. I, I, would, I would say like no later than like 940. Get the car parked, get the kids dropped off, get yourself a cup of coffee. Be ready to greet new people uh, as they come in and prepare to be a blessing to folks uh, next Sunday. Next, give preference in parking. Uh, we have uh, next door to us, we have uh, nine spots that are available at the Bernini parking, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Bernini restaurant next door. If you're not a first-time guest next Sunday, don't use those. Uh, let's leave that available for our first-time guests. Also, any street parking that we have down here on Waimanu Street or even across uh, Pensacola Street as we go into Queen Street. If you can leave any street parking available, that would be amazing. Uh, a lot of our folks will park over to Alamoana uh, parking uh, uh, structure or over at the TJ Maxx over here at Ward and walk over that way. Uh, parking a block and a half, two blocks away so that first time guests can have a good parking spot would be awesome. We'll have a parking team out there with probably three different guys next Sunday helping people find a good spot. But one of the worst things in the world that could happen is somebody get the family dressed up and get them in the car and get them to church and they come up here and they can't find anywhere to park and they just keep on driving and decide to have breakfast instead. That would be terrible. So let's make sure the next Sunday we give preference in parking and leave uh, our good close parking available for uh, our first time guests. Next, give preference in seating. Uh, also, next Sunday we're gonna have uh, more chairs out than we normally do. We're gonna uh, maybe have a little bit tighter aisleways and things along those lines to get more people uh, in here. But if you see a family of four walk in and there's two seats up 
here and two seats back there. Hey, make room for a family of four to sit together on Easter Sunday. Uh, again, I'd love to sit with my family on Easter Sunday, but I don't have that privilege. Uh, for folks who call who we call their church home, it's not about us next Sunday. It's about our first-time guests and worshiping Jesus. That's what it's all about. So uh, if you see a family come in and try to make a way so that they can all sit together, our ushers do a great job of that. Um, try, to, try to leave as many open seats as you can wherever you can. Uh, guys, I know we like to manspread. Next Sunday is not the Sunday to manspread. If you don't know what manspreading is, you take both seats beside you and put your stuff on one and like your coffee cup on the other and you kind of like spread out. Get comfortable, right? Make a little bit of room for yourself, a little bit of elbow ring. We can't do that next Sunday. So uh, just try to give preference in that uh, and uh, try to make yourself, I guess, as small as you can next Sunday. We're not gonna pack them in super tight, but uh, just give preference and seeing that'll be a blessing. Next, be friendly to everybody. Again, I hate to say this because we do this every single week anyways, but let's be extra friendly next week. Uh, if you see somebody sitting in your section that you don't know, walk over to them and say, hey, uh, I'm Anthony, pleasure to meet you. Uh, have you been to our church before? Uh, sometimes I'll see people, uh, I did it this morning, I said, hey, I'm Anthony, and the person looked at me, they go, yeah, I know, I've met you before. And I was like, oh, it's terrible. Uh, I forgot what their name was, but they reminded me, uh, and now I'm never gonna forget it ever again. Uh, but be friendly to every single person that you see. Uh, if you see somebody in your section that you don't know, just go over to them and say, hey, I know it can be awkward sometimes, uh, there's a guy over at the uh, uh, construction site over uh, next door. Uh, he walks by just about every day, and he says, hey, what's up, pastor? And I say, hey, what's up, man? Uh, and, and we just kind of talk to each other all the time. And uh, every time he goes by, he says, what's up, pastor? I say, what's up, man? Uh, and then one day, somebody came by, and they go, oh, who's this guy? While well, I was standing there talking to man. I don't even know what his name is, right? Uh, and uh, they said, oh, who's this guy here? And I look at him, and I go, this, I have no idea what your name is, honestly. He goes, I'm Rob. And I go, okay, Rob. And he goes, honestly, I just know you're the pastor, and so I call you pastor. I have no idea what your name is either. <laughs> I'm Anthony. So we've been saying hey to each other for like six weeks, and I found out his name's Rob, and he found out my name's Anthony. And we met each other that way. It's awkward sometimes, but just get past the awkwardness and just be friendly to every single person that you meet. You might not be an extrovert. I'm certainly not. I'm an introvert by nature. I'd like to find my place in the corner and just wait till church starts. Let's next Sunday go outside of ourselves to be friendly to every single person that we see. Next, this goes a step further from just being friendly. Learn somebody's name. Try to remember it. Uh, for me, I usually carry a three by five card that I write down people's names on it because I don't wanna forget it. Uh, using someone's name tells them you're important to me and you're automatically part of the family. And so this is a great way to get to know people and make them feel welcome uh, and comfortable here at Huikala and learn somebody's name. Lastly, invite somebody back next week. Hey, glad you came. I hope you enjoyed the service. Hey, would you come back next Sunday? Uh, man, our pastor's continuing to study through the book of Ephesians next Sunday. I think it'll be a help to you. I wanna encourage you to be here for that. And so invite somebody back next week. Here's another thing that's gonna happen. You're gonna invite someone to, to Easter Sunday services and they might even tell you that they're gonna come and they're not gonna show up. I'm just gonna tell you ahead of time, that's gonna happen. Happens to me every single time without fail. Uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna be there and they never show up. Hey, guess what? We've got 51 other weeks out of the year that we can continue to invite people to church. So uh, if somebody says they're gonna come and they don't show up, invite them back the following week. If you see somebody here for the first time, invite them to come back next Sunday. Hey, glad you came. Hope you enjoyed the service. Hope to see you back next Sunday. Hey, I'll sit, save a seat for you next Sunday. Uh, but make them feel welcome and let them know that we're looking forward to seeing them, not just at Christmas time now, uh, but every single week after that. So those are some thoughts to help you prepare for Resurrection Sunday here. Uh, be on time. Be early. Uh, be ready to greet folks. Give preference in parking and seating and things like that. It's going to be an awesome Sunday. Next Sunday, you will not want to miss that for sure.
Grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 11, if you would. We're stepping out of Ephesians for the, what we refer to as Passion Week. Passion Week is the uh, week that we celebrate what Christ did for us by uh, giving his life in uh, his death upon the cross and his glorious resurrection. Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be at today. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, so to just kind of give you an idea as far as uh, how Passion Week, uh, the, the names we've kind of given to uh, the days of Passion Week. Palm Sunday is kind of the kickoff of what we refer to as Passion Week. We'll take a look at why it's called Palm Sunday uh, here in just a moment. Uh, then after that, we have... Uh, the, uh, what's sometimes referred to as Maundy Thursday, which would be the time that Jesus uh, had his last supper with uh, his apostles, uh, the Passover meal. Uh, then we have Good Friday, uh, which includes the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, and then after that, uh, Resurrection Sunday. So that kind of gives you a rundown. We'll have a special service on Good Friday that you will not want to miss either. We're going to take a look at why the crucifixion of Christ is called a Good Friday. And it's going to be awesome. You will not want to miss that. If you want to read ahead, you can read Romans chapter 5 if you want to. I'm so pumped up about that. Uh, but be here. Good Friday seven o'clock. Again, a lot of folks are looking for a place to go uh, for either Good Friday or Easter services, and so we can give them a place just by inviting them to it. Uh, some folks who maybe want to go get Easter brunch or maybe have an Easter egg hunt for the kids on Sunday morning might come to a Good Friday service, and so I want to encourage you uh, to invite somebody to, to Good Friday if they can't make it on Easter Sunday. Uh, good Friday is going to be a, a strong gospel message about the cross, and you will not want to miss out on that, and it kind of preps our heart for the, the day of the resurrection. Uh, today, we're taking a look at what the Palm Sunday donkey teaches us about discipleship. That's a really long title, isn't it? Um, but uh, this passage is really, really important to help us understand the heart of Christ and what he expects from us and what we can learn about following uh, Jesus Christ. Mark chapter number 11, starting in verse number one. They came nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethphage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives. He sent forth two of his disciples and saith unto him, go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied whereupon a man whereon never man sat, loose him and bring him. If any man say unto you, why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he'll send him hither. And they went on their way and found the colt tied by the door in a place where the two ways met, and they loose him. The certain of them that stood there said unto them, what do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, and they let him go. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him and he sat upon him and spread their garments out in the way and others cut down branches off the tree and strawed them in the way and they that went before and they followed and cried saying Hosanna blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord blessed be the kingdom of our father David he that cometh in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest we refer to this as Palm Sunday because today is the day where we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Uh, now, Jesus had, and his apostles have been having uh, a meal together, uh, and they, they, Jesus tells them, hey, go grab a colt and bring him to me. If anybody asks why, just say the Lord needs him. And they did that. And the, uh, the apostles uh, put their clothes on top of the donkey and G made a saddle out of it. And Jesus rode this donkey into Jerusalem. And as he came, the people looked and they began to take off their outer coats and throw them on the ground for the donkey to walk across. They cut branches off of the palm trees and laid them in the way for Jesus to make his way. And they cried, Hosanna in the highest. And so that's why we refer to this as Palm Sunday. The word Hosanna means save us now. Uh, these folks in this case here had heard about the promised Messiah that was coming. And they'd heard that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, which he was. They'd heard that the coming Messiah would sit upon the throne of David and would, would save the people. 
And when they saw Jesus coming, they thought to themselves, this is the moment. He is going to set us free from, not our sins, but he's gonna set us free from Roman opposition. He's gonna set us free from this slavery that we're under. He's gonna set us free from the rule and reign of Rome, and he's gonna now reestablish the throne of David, and he will now be our king. Hosanna, save us now, he is here. Jesus certainly did come to save, but not in the way that they wanted to be saved. Interesting, these same voices that cried, Hosanna, save us now, just merely days later would cry, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, put him to death. Same people, different reaction. All of this would happen to ultimately culminate with Christ's death upon the cross and his amazing resurrection for one reason, that's the payment of our sins. One of the reasons why this week is so important to Christians, so incredibly important, is because we are born with a problem, and our problem is a sin problem. You and I are born at odds with God. The Bible says in Romans 5 that you and I are born enemies of God, that everyone has gone their own way, everyone has done their own thing. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. And while God has commandments and rules and laws that we're supposed to follow, you and I break those laws as often as we feel like. And we have created an us-against-God situation where you and I are at odds with God, opposed to God. And the Bible says that our sin is a great problem. And that our problem that we have of sin has earned us the consequences of God's wrath. The Bible says because of our sin, we will die one day. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter six, verse number 23 says. What that means is it means we were born spiritually dead in our sin. Ephesians chapter two says we were born dead in our trespasses and sin. We'll die physically one day, a physical death. Our heart will stop beating. Our lungs will stop taking in air. They're gonna dig a hole and put our body in it and you and I will be physically dead. But the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment Every man and woman will stand before God one day, and the Bible says that God will open the books and judge us according to our works. And there's one book that God will open called the book of life. The Bible says, he whose name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. So we're born spiritually dead because of our sin. We'll die physically one day because of our sin. And coming is an eternal death in hell because of our sin. This is what we deserve. This is the consequences of our sin. I deserve it. You deserve it because we've sinned against the holy God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you, God loves me, and God loves the people of this world so much that he sent his son to die in our place. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I deserve to die, but Jesus died instead. One of the reasons why Good Friday is so incredibly good is because the Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ died to set me free from my sin and he died to set you free from your sin. Hey, apart from Jesus Christ, you're on your own. 
No church can save you. No baptism can save you. No good works can save you. There's nothing that can save you apart from Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the only hope that you have. And his death upon the cross means you and I do not have to die, but we can live eternally with God in heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. But you have to make a decision for yourself. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There must come a point in time in your life where you recognize your sinful condition. I realize that I've broken God's law. I realize that I've sinned against the holy God and I need to make it right. The Bible says you need to repent of your sins. It means to turn from your sins and turn to Christ to be saved. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you can be saved. Just as when you were born, you were born with a time, at a certain time, on a certain date, in a certain place, you must be born again as well. You must have a time, date, and place where you accepted Christ as Savior and turned from your sin. Friend, if not, you're on your own on this, and I'm telling you the penalty of your sin is death, death, and death. But Jesus died in my place. Jesus died in your place for all that would receive him. The Bible says that to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God. That's why this week is so important to us. That's why the cross still matters because Jesus shed his blood to pay for my sin and pay for yours. And that's what makes Friday a good Friday. I know I told you a little bit of the, uh, the story ahead of time, but comes on Friday still. There's more to the story than that. That's why next Sunday is gonna be so incredibly awesome because we celebrate a risen savior that Jesus Christ did not die and stay dead. Jesus Christ is risen. People still go to Jerusalem and look at a tomb. Uh, they actually walk into a tomb and they look around and they say, well, I think this is the tomb maybe where Jesus was laid. This could be because it's in around, around the same place and uh, historians tell us this and that and stuff like that. Hey, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where his body was laid because it was there for three days. That's it. And he's risen. Oh, where's Christ now? Christ resides in every single believer in the form of the Holy Spirit inside of him. Christ is alive through the word of God. Christ is alive through the people of God. And Jesus Christ is alive. Man, celebration is gonna be next Sunday. Do not miss it. Now, as we look at this passage of scripture, we see that some of Jesus' apostles, some of his disciples have gone to follow his instructions as far as what needs to be done. Discipleship is really important to Jesus as we study through the Bible, it's important that Jesus wants people to follow him. Definition of a disciple, a quick definition, is a committed follower of Jesus. Now, you can be a child of God, yet not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a fan of the Los Angeles Lakers. It's, it's a tough time to be a Lakers fan, I'll just tell you. It's been a last uh, tough 10 years to be a Lakers fan. Let me just tell you that. It's been a while since our glory days, but I'm still a fan. Uh, and uh, some of you might have heard our uh, head coach uh, mutually agreed to part ways with the Lakers this past week. That's fine. Uh, and so I have some friends who are saying, who do you think is going to take over? I think this coach here would be a good fit and stuff like that. And honestly, at the end of the day, I couldn't even tell you. I didn't watch a single solitary full game this entire year uh, of the Lakers. I'm, I'm just a fan. I've got a Lakers jacket in my, uh, in my uh, closet. I've got a Lakers hat. I'm a Lakers fan. Uh, we li lived in uh, L.A. County for 10 years, and so just a Lakers fan. I'm not a Lakers disciple. 
There's those guys that you know that know the leading scorer in every single season and who was on what team when they won their, their, their third championship. And uh, if you remember, you know, when, when this happened and that happened, I, I honestly, I don't remember all that stuff and really I don't even care to tell you the truth. I'm just kind of a casual fan. You see, Jesus has a lot of casual fans. I don't really know a lot about the Bible. I just know that, that, that Jesus died for me and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. That's kind of all I care about. He's got a lot of fans, but he has few disciples. Disciples are committed followers of Jesus and that's what Jesus wants. Jesus is not interested in fans. If Jesus were on social media, he's not concerned with his follower count, if you will. If you look at John chapter 6 in your Bibles, we won't take a look at it this morning, but uh, Jesus feeds thousands of people on a hillside. Then he begins preaching hard doctrine. Hey, you can't come after me unless you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, you gotta take all of me, not just a little bit here and there. And the Bible says, John chapter 6, verse number 66, from that point on, many of his disciples went away and walked with him no more. Jesus lost thousands of followers in one message. And what do you think he did? Oh, what are we gonna do to get everybody back? Oh, come on, guys, I was just kidding. You don't really have to do that. No, no, let him go. And he even turned to his apostles and he says, are you guys gonna leave too? Are you guys gonna go with everybody else? Peter said something phenomenal. Lord, where will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter was a disciple. He said, we don't have a plan B. If this whole walking with Jesus thing doesn't work out, we don't even know what we would do or where we would go. Unfortunately, there are Christians today who if they decided tomorrow to stop being a Christian, that only thing that means is they get their Sunday mornings back. They can sleep in a little bit longer on Sunday morning. That's really all it means to them. There's other folks that are disciples of Christ that if you stop following Christ, you don't know what you would do with your life because everything's centered around Jesus. That's what Jesus desires, to be at the center of everything that we do. He wants committed followers. Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants disciples. And discipleship is the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. At Hui Kala, we talk a lot about discipleship. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. Discipleship is learning to follow Jesus. I grew up in church my whole life, uh, Three times a week, our, our family was at church every single time the doors were open. If there was something on Friday night, we went on Friday night. If there was a Saturday fish fry, we were there frying fish. I mean, our family grew up in church. That's just what we did. I accepted Christ when I was nine years old, but I never started walking with Jesus and became a disciple of Christ until I was in my mid-20s. Because there's a difference in knowing who Jesus is and, there, and actually following him. And thankfully, Angela and I had a couple who spent a lot of time and a lot of prayers and a lot of investment in our lives and helped us to learn what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, discipleship for us, we have a 14-week program that's kind of an on-ramp to discipleship. That's not a, a full discipleship course that at the end you can check it off, uh, be a disciple. It's kind of a, a quick way to over 14 weeks to learn major doctrines of the Bible and, and figure out what you believe about the Bible and why you believe it and where you can find it. I think every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. But discipleship does not stop once you complete a course, once you get a certificate, once you finish a program. Discipleship is a lifelong quest to be like Jesus. I'm still on my discipleship journey myself. Uh, again, I accepted Christ when I was nine years old, been in church, uh, again, been to more churches in, my, in my, my lifetime than I can even count. But I'm still trying to learn what it means to follow Jesus better. 
I'm still reading books on how to deepen my walk with Christ. I'm still reading books on how to be a better pastor. I'm still reading books on how to share my faith better because discipleship never stops. It's a continual journey that we must be on. Now, what can uh, Jesus tell us about discipleship? Jesus says in Luke chapter nine, verse number 23, he said unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake the same shall save it you know what jesus says put me first in every area every area if you're looking out for your own life you're going to lose it but if you're willing to lose your life for me you're going to find what life is all about i'm telling you this life has never been sweeter for me from the time i started following jesus until now it's as good as it gets the times that I was looking out for me and what I could get out of life and how much money I could make and the things that I could buy and the type of cars I could drive. Let me tell you, that was the most lonely time in my entire existence as a human being. But man, once I started pursuing Christ, that's when I found my life. And that's what Jesus says. Lay down your life and you'll find what life is really about. I'm telling you this, there's no better thing you could do with your life than follow Jesus Christ. Jesus says, whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I was talking with a, um, a young lady several years ago and she uh, was sporadic in her church attendance and uh, would come maybe a couple of times a month on a Sunday morning and she said to me, uh, Pastor, I really want to play uh, my instrument on a Sunday morning. And I said, well, I just encourage you to be faithful to church first. Our church doesn't need musicians or performers. Our church needs dedicated disciples of Christ that can use their talents for the Lord. And I said, so work on your church attendance. I said, we can work on playing instruments later. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she was like, what, she was saying, I gotta come to church every single Sunday morning? Mm. Well, I didn't say that. And she was like, what, are you, are you trying to tell me God wants every single Sunday morning that I have? No, I didn't say that. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying God wants everything that you have. He doesn't just want your Sunday mornings. He doesn't just want your, your 10% of your tithe. He doesn't just want you to show up whenever it's convenient for you. He doesn't just want a couple of minutes in the morning before you read your Bible. He wants everything, everything. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. We've had people that have signed up for our discipleship course before and have gotten fired from discipleship. You fire people from discipleship? That's harsh. It really is. It's awful. Because we have guidelines. You show up every week. You do the homework that you're supposed to do, which is Bible reading. You memorize some scripture verses. You're faithful in your church attendance while you're in discipleship. And then we, we go through this process together. But without fail, we'll have people who, uh, they come, but they're really tired. And do we have to do this this week? And I didn't do any of my Bible reading this week, and I left my book at home, and I don't even really know where my Bible is. Can we do this next week? And they show up next week and they don't fill in any of the blanks and it feels like you're pulling teeth to try to get in there and stuff like that. Uh, next week, they just don't even show up and don't call. And they show up the following week, oh, I'm ready for discipleship. I'm sorry, can't do that. You say, well, who are you to fire people from discipleship? I can't do it, but Jesus can. Jesus says, if you're not serious about following me, you can't do it. Second Timothy 2, 2 tells us to take the things that we've learned and commit them to faithful men. If you're not willing to be faithful, I can't commit these things to you. Being a disciple of Jesus is serious business. It takes everything that you have. 
You know why? Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That means he's the master. It means he's the boss. It means he's in charge. It means he runs the show. It means whatever he says goes because that's who Jesus is. He is Lord. You see, salvation is a miracle of a moment. When you trust Christ as Savior, the Bible says that you're, you pass from death to life. You go from being an enemy of God to being adopted into the family of God. You go from eternal death to eternal life in a split second, the moment that you accept Christ as Savior. So salvation is a miracle of a moment, but discipleship is a journey of a lifetime. I had the opportunity to preach in uh, Malaysia last Sunday, and we had seven people that indicated in the morning service they accept, accepted Christ as Savior. It was awesome. One of the ladies afterwards that came up to me and said, hey, Pastor, I accepted Jesus as Savior this morning. I said, do you understand what you've done? She says, I understand it like I've never understood it before. I said, just know this is not the end. And she goes, what do you mean? I go, now that you're a child of God, you must spend the rest of your life learning what it means to be a good child of God. I said, be in church, go through some form of discipleship, introduce her to one of the pastors there and ask him to follow up on her. Why? Because salvation takes place instantly. Discipleship takes the rest of your life. And you and I must be committed to discipleship. Now, what can a donkey tell us about discipleship? What can we learn from this particular lesson that we can apply to our own lives? Again, uh, I want you to get this in mind as you study the Bible. Become, first of all, become a student of God's word. You need to be in the Bible every single day without fail because I promise you it'll help you. But don't just read the Bible for information. Read the Bible for application. Every single story in the Bible is there for a reason. The Bible says that, that all Scripture is given by inspiration, and it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. The, the Bible is there for a reason. So when I read a passage like a donkey uh, that these disciples go get, I have to ask myself the question, what's God trying to tell me? What's the spiritual truth that I can gather from this passage of Scripture? What can I do to make this applicable to my own life? Look for application every single time you read the Bible. Jot down these thoughts with me this morning as we take a look at this passage. First of all, Jesus gives specific instructions. You know, we take a look at verse number two, and he saith unto them, go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereupon never man sat. Loose him and bring him with you, and if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Jesus told him what to do. Hey, go this place. There's gonna be a donkey tied up. Nobody's ever sat on this donkey before. Take that donkey specifically and bring him. If anybody says to you, what are you doing? Just say, hey, the Lord needs this donkey. And they're gonna let you go. Specific instructions. You know, the funny thing about the Bible is God gives us specific instructions all the way through it, cover to cover. It's always interesting to me, people who want to uh, know more about the Bible, but don't want to obey it. They wanna get more knowledge. They don't wanna actually apply it. They want to know more about what the Bible says. They don't just want to do it. That's a problem. It's interesting to me, over uh, the last five and a half years, we've had people leave our church for a multitude of reasons. Uh, I had a guy one time who says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving our church. I go, why? Did I do something wrong? You know, I never try to convince people to stay. If you feel like God's leading you to go somewhere else, I'm going to send you on with my blessing. I just want to know, did I do anything wrong? And so I want to make that right before you leave. 
well, I just believe the Bible teaching here is really weak, and I just want to get really deep into the Word. Okay? Like, like I, want to re- I want somebody to preach through the book of Revelation. And let's talk about the, you know, the different judgments of the book of Revelation and prophecy and end times and how we can see that in current events and stuff like that. And I was just like, that's just not where we're at as a church right now. Oh, you know, I just want to go deep into the Word. And that sounds super spiritual on the, on the surface. I want to go deep into the Word. And I said, hey, man, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah. I said, are you still living with your girlfriend? What's that got to do with anything? But you know you're not supposed to, but you don't want to obey that, but you want to go deep into the Bible. Let's not dig for deep spiritual truths when we're not obeying the surface truths that the Bible commands us to do. Hey, we got people who want to go deep into the Bible, but you're still looking at pornography. You want to go deep into the Bible, but you still got a foul mouth. Hey, let's obey the things we know first, and then we can become a disciple of Christ. I cannot be a disciple of Christ when I'm living in open rebellion to him. And Jesus gives clear commandments throughout the Bible what he expects of us. Again, Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24, and Jesus saith unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus repeats this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three different times. Another time, a a man comes to Jesus, and he says, Master, I want to follow you. What do I have to do? He says, sell everything you got and follow me. And he says, I can't. And Jesus said, okay. And Jesus Jesus just went on. Jesus expects you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. He expects that from you. Very clear on what his expectations are. Very clear on what these instructions are as far as being a disciple is. The question is, are we willing to obey it? Secondly, Jesus calls for obedience. Hey, guys, go get this donkey and bring him to me. Very clear instructions. Jesus expects his commands to be followed. Again, it blows me away at Christians who want to say that they love the Lord or Christians who want to say uh, that they worship the Lord as the Lord, but they don't want to obey him. Jesus even called out some some folks in, uh, I believe it's the book of Luke, where he says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. Why, why, Why do you call me Lord if I'm not your actual Lord? Jesus expects obedience from us. Obedience proves our love for Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. John chapter 14. John chapter 15, he says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus calls for obedience from us. Let me ask you this question this morning. Is there any area of your life right now where you're not obeying Jesus? I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just don't want to do it. If so, I'm going to challenge you this morning to make that right with God. It never ceases to amaze me. Christians who use foolish statements like this. I know what the Bible says, but... Let me just stop you right there. Whatever you're going to say at the end makes one of the most foolish statements you've ever made in your entire life. I know what the Bible says, but that doesn't really apply to me. I know what the Bible says, but that doesn't really fit in my scenario here. I know what the Bible says, but that's really hard. I know what the Bible says, but that's not really all that convenient. I know what the Bible says, but that was written like 2,000 years ago. I know what the Bible says, but things are different now. I know what the Bible says, but I know what my heart says. 
every single one of those statements is foolish. The only statement we need to make is I know what the Bible says and I'm gonna do it. And I'm telling you this, you'll never be disappointed with obedience. Promise you that. Next we see in this passage that Jesus wants our best. Take a look at verse number two again. Saith unto them, go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. You know, Jesus didn't want the old busted up donkey that nobody wanted. Jesus didn't want the really, really slow donkey that was about to die. Jesus didn't want the donkey that wouldn't be able to carry somebody very far. He says, no, go find me the best donkey that they have. The donkey that nobody's ever sat on before, that's the one that I want. Friend, let me challenge you with this this morning. Jesus wants your best of everything. He wants the best of your time. He wants the best of your talents. He wants the best of your treasure. And let me tell you this, because he is king of kings and lord of lords, he deserves your best. I promise you that. But somehow we're content to give God our leftovers. Strange thing. I talk with folks sometimes, ask them, hey, how's your walk with God been? Oh, it's okay. It's back and forth, you know. I try to pray, but I just don't have the time for it. Hmm. It's not a matter of not having enough time. It's a matter of not making it a priority. Well, do you have time to brush your teeth in the morning before you walk out the door? Yeah, but then you have time to pray. Do you have time to take a shower? You didn't shower all week because you haven't had time? No, we make time to shower. Why? Because it's important to us. Do you have time to put on clean clothes? I hope so. The person next to you really hopes so this morning. Why? We have time, we just don't make time for it. I didn't have time to read the Bible this week. It's been a really busy week. Did you have time for Instagram? Did you have time for Facebook? If so, you definitely had time for the Bible. Well, I might not have a lot of time to read the Bible. Hey, I'm not telling you to spend three hours reading the Bible. I'm telling you to spend three minutes reading the Bible. Hey, if you, here's something for you. If you say, I just don't have time, find one verse, just one, and focus on that verse all day long. Meditate on it. Think about it continually again and again and again. Maybe if you have a hot temper, soft answer, turneth away wrath. I'm gonna think about that all day long. And before I speak, I'm gonna remember, a soft answer turneth away wrath. I'm gonna meditate on that all day long. Hey, that's better than, than scrolling Facebook for 10 minutes any day. We make time for what's important to us. And if we think that Jesus is Lord, we need to give him our best. For me, I structure my entire day around my time with the Lord. I wake up early in the morning to spend time with God before I ever get on with the rest of my day. Why? Because it's important to me. If I don't spend time with God, everything else gets wrecked for the rest of the day. I want to give God my best. I don't want to give him my leftovers. For Angela and I, we give, uh, and we do our giving online, just the way we pay all of our bills. We used to write one check every single week, and it was our tithe check. The only reason we had a checkbook, a checkbook was for the purpose of writing our tithe so we started giving online instead and we set it up so the very first thing that comes out of our checking account the second that we get paid is our giving to Jesus through his church why because we want him to have our best we don't want him to have our leftovers many Christians uh, you know the offering basket comes by they pull out their wallet and they begin to go like this they go oh, I've got a 50 I don't really want to give that 50 uh, I've got a couple of bucks here I'll, I'll throw those in 
That's not biblical giving, friend. God doesn't want your leftovers. He doesn't want your small bills. He doesn't want you to give whatever happens to be in your wallet. He wants you to give your best. He expects our best. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Hey, put me first and I'll take care of everything else. I'm always encouraged when people say, uh, I went in for a job interview and I told them I can't work Sundays and I can't work Wednesdays because I got church. God will bless that every single time because God always honors those that put him first. Hey, you honor God, God's gonna honor you. Trust me, you dishonor God, God has no uh, obligation to honor you when you don't put him first. You know, God's never content with our leftovers. God doesn't just want the extra that we don't need anything with. I told a story a couple of weeks ago about how somebody said they had a donation they wanted to give to the church and they came by and gave us a used bottle of ketchup. God doesn't want that. I don't want somebody's ketchup either. Man. God wants our best. God deserves our best. Malachi chapter one says this, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then be father, where is mine honor? Malachi is a heavy book uh, because Malachi was a prophet who was basically saying to the children of Israel, God is super upset with you because he's supposed to be first, but you put him last. You're supposed to give and you're stealing from him. And whatever you do give is your leftovers and he's really not pleased with that. Since the son honoreth his father and a servant his master, if I then be a father, where's mine honor? And if I be a master, where's my fear? saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread on my altar? You say, where have we polluted thee? And that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. If you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? You see, they were supposed to bring things to the altar to sacrifice, and, and the Bible gives clear guidelines as far as what God wanted sacrificed on that altar. He wanted a, a lamb, perfect, spotless, without blemish. Not sick, not lame, because this lamb would be a picture of the lamb of God who would be Jesus Christ. That's why this lamb had to be perfect, spotless. But the priests started doing the math on this, and they go, what? Why well, we got to give the good stuff? We got this, this lamb over here that's blind and about to die. Can't we, it's going to die anyway. Can we just give that instead? And they did. Instead of offering nice, well-cooked bread, show bread, as it was supposed to be on the altar, what did they do? They gave the moldy old nasty stuff that's been sitting around the house. We'll just throw that on the altar. God won't seem to notice. And God says, oh, I do notice. Notice in verse number eight, he says, offer it now unto thy governor, see if he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. Hey, try telling your boss at work tomorrow, hey, I had a really busy week last week, and I'm just not gonna be, be around much this week. See how that works. Got a lot of busy stuff at home, you know, things are kind of crazy around the house. I'm not really gonna be in too much this week at work. See, I don't think it's gonna work. Try telling the IRS, by the way, you got uh, about a day and a half to get your taxes, actually, tomorrow's your day, okay, uh, to get your taxes done. Try telling the IRS, though, hey, I got a lot of bills going on and stuff right now. I'm gonna catch back up when it's convenient. I'm not gonna be able to give my full tax this time around. I'm just gonna give a couple of hundred bucks and ask the Lord to bless it. See how that'll work. 
That's what God's saying here. Offer anybody else your leftovers. See how that works. God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants your best. That's what being a disciple is. Jesus gets my best. I had somebody ask me one time, Pastor, you think we'll ever have a Saturday night service around here? I said, probably not. I can't ever see us having one. I don't want to say never because I hate people who say, we're never going to do that. I can't see it ever happening. <laughs> and this guy said to me, he said, man, that's a bummer. I go, why? He said, because I really like Saturday night service because then I can have my Sundays all to myself. I don't think that's the idea of the Lord's day. If we say Sunday is the Lord's day, we set aside a day to worship him, that it's his day that everything gets clear off the calendar for. I don't think the idea is that I wanna uh, do everything I wanna do on Saturday, give Jesus a, an hour on Saturday night, and then I get all day Sunday to myself. That's not giving God your best. But having a day that is worship unto God and setting that side day aside is giving God our best. Another thought that this gives us is that faith often appears to conflict with rational thinking. Imagine this. We're going to have a super church activity this afternoon, and we don't really have any way to get all the kids from point A to point B. So I tell one of our guys, hey, Bill, would you go over there to the mall? Uh, there's a white 15-passenger van parked on the lower level. Just go over there, flip down the visor. If the keys are in it, start it up, bring it over here, pick up these super church kids. Did the church get a new van? No, it's some, guy, some guy's van over there. And if he asks what you're doing with it, just tell him the Lord needs it. Okay. Can you imagine getting instructions like that? Well, does this guy know that we're coming? No, he doesn't know we're coming. Just tell him that the Lord needs it. Well, what if that doesn't suffice? What if that's not good enough for him? What do you do then? This doesn't make any sense. These instructions that Jesus gave doesn't make sense. Just go, get the donkey. If anybody asks, what are you doing? The Lord needs it. Okay, and then what did they do? They went. Oftentimes, our faith will conflict with rational thinking. It doesn't make sense. We, we told folks, hey, we're moving to Honolulu for the purpose of starting a church in the middle of the city. Bad idea, Anthony, it's not gonna work. Okay, thanks for your vote of confidence. Um, it didn't make sense. I, I found out later that 18 different Baptist churches have started here since the middle 80s, middle of the 80s, and none of them make it, made it, 100% failure rate. That wasn't encouraging news. It didn't make sense. We signed a lease on that side of the building over there, 3,500 square feet, and you know how many people we had in our church at the time? Five when we signed the lease. You know who those five people were? My family. That was it. It didn't make sense. But faith often conflicts with rational thinking. If Jesus tells you to do it, just do it. Hey, here's a thought. If our life makes sense to an unsaved person, maybe we're not living by faith. If other people can look at our life and go, yeah, I could totally do that, then maybe we're not living the type of faith that Jesus expects us to live. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. But you know this guy that gave his donkey, we don't even know the guy's name, we just knew that the Lord needed the donkey and they took it. Leads us to the next thought, whatever we have to give to Jesus contributes to his glory through us. Angela and I made a decision, man, almost 20 years ago now, that we would give whatever we had to the Lord. 
without any questions. God told us to do something, we just do it. Seemed like a simple idea at the time. There came a point in time, though, where we felt like God was calling us to serve in full-time vocational ministry. And I remember saying to God, God, my life isn't much, but it's yours to do with what you want to. I'm nobody. I'm like a, a nobody of nobodies. But if you could use my life, it's yours. I don't know what you'd do with it, but you're welcome to take it. And I'm telling you this, that decision changed everything for me. That cha decision changed everything for our family. That decision changed everything for the folks that are sitting here today because we made a decision nearly 20 years ago, whatever we have is yours. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what Paul says? Paul's dead. Only Jesus is living through me. Paul doesn't exist anymore. Only Christ through me. Final thought this morning. God can do more with what you have than you can. That's a promise. You see, we think by hanging on to what we have that we can uh, do more with our life than what Jesus can, but that's really just not the truth. Turn if you would to Exodus chapter four. We're gonna take a look at one passage of scripture before we're done this morning. The story in the book of Exodus is fascinating. God's people are in slavery to Egypt. God calls a man by the name of Moses to lead them out of Egypt, and Moses gives God every excuse in the book as far as why he cannot do this. Exodus chapter four, verse number one, and Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Again, Moses in the middle of all of his excuses here. Hey, they're not even gonna believe me, Lord. The Lord said unto him, verse number two, what is in thy hand? And he said, a rod. He cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. Just know if I threw a stick down and it turned into a snake, I wouldn't go back for seconds, okay? And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. So God says, Moses, what do you got? And Moses says, I got a stick. And God says, okay, that'll work. So Moses and his mighty stick are gonna go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses says, they're not gonna believe me, God. God says, what do you got? He says, I got a stick. God says, okay, that'll work. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going up against the most powerful nation in the world to have them set free probably close to one million slave laborers, I'm gonna need a little bit more than a stick to get it done. But Moses trusted God. Moses said, God, I got a stick. God says that stick will work. If you skip down to verse number 20, this is awesome. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass or a donkey and he returned into the land of Egypt. And Moses took, look at that, the rod of God in his hand. Oh, Moses doesn't just have a stick anymore. He has God's stick now. Think about that. The rod of God, that sounds a little bit stronger than just Moses' stick, right? You know why? Because when Moses gave God his stick, it was now God's stick. And what did Moses use his rod to do? I don't know. He sent some plagues upon Egypt. I don't know when the children of Israel fled Egypt and they came to the Red Sea. That stick became really, really important then, didn't it? 
Moses used the rod of God to part the Red Sea. You see, when Moses just had it, it was just a stick. When he gave it to God, it became the rod of God, and God did wondrous works with it. Hey, that donkey was just some guy's donkey that got tied up. But once he gave it to the Lord, it became the vehicle that brought Christ ultimately to the cross and ultimately purchased our redemption through that donkey. Wow. Final thought this morning. Ask yourself this question. Am I following the Lord in obedience? Is there any area of my life that needs to be made right before God? Is there anything that I know that I should be doing that I'm not doing? Is there any sin in my life that needs to be made right? Make it right today. Secondly, do I give Jesus my best? If I'm pursuing Christ with my life, does he get the best of me or does he get what's left over? Thirdly, am I willing to follow Jesus even when I cannot rationalize it? Hey, this doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Maybe this isn't convenient, but I know it's what God expects me to do. I'm gonna follow by faith. Final thought here, what do I have that the Lord needs? What do I have that I could offer the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? What could God use that's mine for his glory? Do I have anything? And you might be like me where you say, God, I got nothing, but what I got is yours. I'm a nobody, but you can take my life and do with it what you want to. God, I don't know what this means to you, but it's yours if you want it. I'm telling you this, that's where you'll see God's power in your life when you're fully yielded to him in whatever way he expects of you. I hope you'll be here tonight at five o'clock. I'm gonna share some thoughts of uh, some things that I saw while I was in Malaysia and some thoughts and practically how that applies to us. But you know what? While I was in Malaysia, I was praying that people from Hui Kala would get a burden for missions around the world. That we would get past just what goes on in our life on a day-to-day basis and think about Christians overseas or unsafe people overseas who need to know, know the gospel. I'm gonna share some of that tonight at five o'clock. I hope you'll be here for that. But what do you have that God needs? We have an opportunity this week to invite people to our Easter services so they can hear the gospel and have the opportunity to be saved next Sunday. That's a big deal. Maybe your time this week is something that the Lord needs. Would you offer that to him? Maybe your invitation that you would extend to another person is something that the Lord needs this week. Would you allow him to use that? All I know is this. Jesus has enough casual fans. He really wants disciples. He says, if you're gonna come after me, you can do it, but you have to not deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's not a, that's not a one-time thing. That's an everyday thing. And Jesus wants disciples. Are you a disciple of Christ? If not, today's your day to begin that process of discipleship. Most important thing in the entire world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time, date, and place where you were born again, where you trusted Christ as Savior. Do not leave here today until you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. But for those of us that are children of God, let's pursue him today, tomorrow, and every day after that until the day we see Christ face to face. 